0: This is episode 285 with running coach, marathoner, and host of the Rambling Runner podcast, Matt Chittum. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode originally aired on the Rambling Runner podcast, I had such a great conversation with host Matt Chittum on a variety of strength training topics that I typically don't cover that I asked him if I could repost it here, and I know you're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. And if you are interested in strength training to benefit your running specifically, get our free email course that explains the whys, what's, and how's of lifting weights for runners. Get it today at strengthrunning.com strength. Feel free to connect with me anytime through the Strength Running YouTube channel on Instagram at jasonfits1 or our home base, strengthrunning.com. You'll find our award-winning blog, free email courses, and our suite of training programs that focus on specific topics like injury prevention, weightlifting, direct coaching from me, nutrition for runners, and more. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. And if you enjoy this podcast, support our sponsors who help us keep the lights on. First is Prevenex. I've never partnered with a supplement company until now. Prevenex is, in my view, the best. They only use the most bioavailable, clinically tested ingredients, the optimal form and dose of each ingredient, pharmaceutical-grade manufacturing, testing of raw ingredients, and finished products. And for every purchase you make, they donate vitamins to kids in need. It's a supplement company that's voluntarily putting themselves under more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards. One great example that I know runners will love is their joint health product. The main ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days, which is almost unheard of. Beyond that, it's also clinically proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. Get 15% off your order with code JASON15, it's not case-sensitive, at Previnex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com with code JASON15 for 15% off your order. We're also supported by Inside Tracker. Created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data, InsideTracker provides a personalized health analysis from the most relevant source, your own body. Get your blood tested to find the rate at which you're aging, recommendations to optimize your health, and any physiological red flags that might be negatively impacting your running. Now you can get 20% off their entire store at insidetracker.com strengthrunning with code STRENGTHRUNNING. Get yours at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code STRENGTHRUNNING for 20% off. Okay, my guest today is a giant in the podcasting space. He's a committed runner, a longtime coach, and a hugely enthusiastic ambassador for our sport. Matt Chittum always brightens my day and makes me think about running from a different perspective. In this conversation, we talk about roadblocks that prevent runners from getting in the gym why it's okay not to optimize every single aspect of your training for running, the cautious approach to lifting heavy we have to take as runners, and a lot more. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Chittum.
1: All right, we are here again. Repeat guest, Jason Fitzgerald. Jason, welcome back to the show.
0: Super excited to be here, Matt. Is this my third time on the show now?
1: This is a good question. I was thinking about this before. We didn't talk about this as we were getting ready. Uh, one time, actually, you were on or you were part of the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit, and we then took that and then turned it into a podcast. So I guess that isn't that's kind of like a half a podcast experience. Yeah, half an appearance. Half an appearance. Um, but yeah, but that episode was good because we, we recorded it together. Some people did the, the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit, like pre-recorded video. And then we like played it, right? Uh, I think like, David Roche did that. I think Sarah Bishop did that. They like a topic. And it was kind of like a TED talk. They kind of like did their thing and did like a full presentation where you and I kind of like went back and forth on, on a couple of topics, which was nice. But yeah, a couple of times, that is for sure. And I was on your show, what was it, a couple months ago, which was fun. It was nice to get you on mine. Yeah, it was
0: recent. Um, always, always have a great time chatting with you, Matt. You have such an infectious enthusiasm for the sport that comes through anytime you talk about it. So this is going to be great.
1: No, absolutely. And you're wearing the local runner shirt. Where, what what's local for you exactly?
0: Well, I mean, literally local is Denver, Colorado. But uh, this is this is a, a I think Dumb Runner sells yes. these shirts. Yes, he at does. It's dumbrunner.com. Uh, I got one that says Local Runner, which I think is just hilarious. I, I'm really excited to wear this around a bunch of like pro runners at some meetup in Boulder, where they're also local runners, but. I'm gonna have the cool shirt. That's and what I, got I was one gonna that say. Jogging as well. I was gonna say
1: lo- local runner means different things depending where your locale is, right? If you're up in the Boulder area, local runner also could mean Olympic runner, as yeah. As opposed totally. to here in Coventry, Rhode Island, local runner um, has a very different take to it.
0: Yeah, my my local is is a little strange. I, I kind of go out in Boulder sometimes, and I'm like, ooh that's a pro runner. Oh, Hey, look over there. That's an aspiring elite ultra marathoner. And it's just such a cool place to live because those high level athletes are just everywhere.
1: But speaking of Denver, like, I think about this, like, do you ever see, cause two, like, we say like pro runner, but like you, you are, you're professional in the running industry. So like, and actually one, some, one of the, one of the more famous people in that genre also lives in Denver. Seth James Demore. Do you ever like cross paths? You guys do a ton of miles. He's in like the hundreds of miles. But do you ever like cross paths with him? Because I feel like you guys do similar stuff and you live in a similar area. I just I don't know if like you guys pass each other like the Spider Man meme as you're going by.
0: I know. I'm surprised we haven't had any Strava, you know, like like run bys whatever they call that. Oh, is it the, flybys? Yeah, flybys. There you go. But no, we haven't. Uh, I, I would love to connect with Seth. He's such an interesting guy. And and he does like, you know, almost like the Casey Neistat version of YouTubing for running, which I think is just amazing. And he creates such, such beautiful content that's so inspiring for runners. But I live kind of in like the middle of the city, you know, like not downtown, but in the city of Denver. And I don't think he's super centralized in Denver. I think he might be a little bit outside.
1: Yeah, I think he was, but then moved. I think he moved like a year and a half ago. I think he, he does a daily vlog. It's like hard, It's easy to know what's going on in his life. He's talking about it all the time. But yeah, he definitely moved, I think, because he has a pretty growing family. So I think he had like a – I think he had a house that was more centrally located but isn't anymore. At least that's how it seems. He's also on Strava, so you can kind of like see where, you know, yeah, what he is up to. Yeah, I
0: knock him a little bit.
1: There you go. Um, well, I'm excited to chat. You know, you, wherever you're on the, the show – those episodes do, do really, really well. People are really interested in what you have to say. It's one of the reasons why you have one of the top three running podcasts in the country and has been that way for years now. Uh, also a really successful website and YouTube channel as well. Talking about strength, and that's integral not only in January. Every month of the year, obviously, but tis the season for that sort of thing as a lot of people think, all right, here are the things that went well in the previous year. Here's are some, some things that didn't go well, and here are the ways... That not only do I want to set certain goals, but much more importantly, what are the steps and processes that I want to implement or improve upon to reach those goals? And oftentimes when it comes to running, strength, strength work, mobility, and everything underneath that umbrella is usually 1 or 1A for so many runners. I guess um, first thing before we get into some, some, uh, some logistics, not logistics, but some talking points and really dive into it. With your own business, do you see an influx of people around this time of year who are really, you know, kind of like searching for this kind of information? I do see a lot of runners at this time of the year
0: want to make some kind of change with their training. So it's just the question of, you know, what, what was I able to do last year and how can I take things to the next level? So you have a lot of athletes who simply want to take their training more seriously And that can take a lot of different forms, right? I'm going to run more races this year. I'm finally going to get consistent with strength training. That is a big one. I'm going to finally, you know, run more than 30 miles in a week and and see how my endurance does with a higher mileage training program. Or I'm going to run a consistent weekly workout. There's so many different ways that you can sort of level up your approach to training. And I do see that, you know, whole new year, new you phenomenon take hold of the running community as well. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, who think, oh, you don't need New Year's to make resolutions. But it is this special time of year where there is this psychological undercurrent to society where everyone wants to be improving a little bit. Everyone's thinking about resolutions. Everyone's thinking about leveling up their training or improving in some way. And so I think we should take advantage of this phenomenon. Let's harness it. Let's use it to our advantage. And, you know, let's reflect back on our training and, and really ask ourselves, where are the areas where we might put a little bit more effort into and get a lot more results from? So I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great time of year to be working on those things. Um, I, I'm not one to shy away from resolutions and, and improvement like that. I think we should just take advantage of it, embrace it, and see where it takes us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of those topics where there are certain topics where if someone were to bring them up to you, you would be able to maybe peg where in the spectrum of like beginner to experienced runner they would fall. Right. Someone's like, all right, I want to get to like, get to like, you mentioned like maybe get to 40 miles a week in running. Like, all right, this person's probably more on like the newer end of getting into running. Right. Or someone's like, hey, I want to break three hours in the marathon. Right. You'd be like, oh, this person's obviously must be pretty experienced, if not like have almost decades of experience running to kind of have that goal improving on strength and mobility and those things. I feel like that is a topic that is like endemic to like literally anybody across the range. And like, I don't even see like peaks and valleys. Like I know plenty of, of elite runners, even pro runners who say like, this is the one thing I want to like do better at this year. And it's like, if they're saying it and like someone at like the complete other end of the spectrum is saying it, it is such a wild thing that it's not necessarily talent or experience related in some degree.
0: I think you're 100% right. I think strength and mobility is one of those things that can universally help every runner. It doesn't matter if you are listening to this podcast debating whether or not you should become a runner or there's the person who just, you know, competed in the 2020 Olympics. Both athletes are going to benefit greatly from strength and mobility. So yeah, you're right. It's one of those things that is completely independent of ability level and I think it's actually way more important for for the beginner runner and the pro runner, because the pro runner is, is operating at a very high level. They need to do that work so that they can continue at that high level. And the beginner runner really needs strength and mobility because running is new to them. It's a much bigger stress than it is to someone who's already running 25, 30 miles a week. And they sort of need to protect themselves a little bit from all the impact force of running, the injury risk of running when you first start running, the injury risk is a little bit higher. It's this new experience for your body. And you know I remember the first first time I ever went running that, I couldn't run three miles. I was a 14-year-old. I felt like I had been run over by a truck after I run-walked 2.9 miles. That just shows you the level of muscular damage that you're experiencing from running. And if a 14-year-old guy is experiencing that, You know, what about the the 44 year old guy who doesn't have all that testosterone coursing through their body and growth hormone and they're getting nine plus hours of sleep every night? I mean, we really need to focus on taking care of our body as we start to run because it, it is a little bit of a stressful activity. So there's a lot of value in it.
1: That's a great point. It's almost like a very shallow you. Right. You can get like an experienced runner who's running 30 miles a week, maybe running four or five times who could get away with not doing some of this stuff because they're not accumulating a ton of stress. They have their off days. Maybe they don't have like some like some big goals. They're just kind of running for fitness where they could get away with doing this and not becoming injured and maybe not being like oh i'm leaving meat on the ta- i'm leaving like you know meat on the bone here they're just kind of like hey I'm just, I'm just doing my thing whatever and them again not that it wouldn't help them but they could get away with not doing it and it not have a not doing it wouldn't have an adverse effect right whereas like the 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 extreme not the extremes but kind of like each end of the range you would have um, some pretty deleterious effects could happen if someone doesn't incorporate this into their uh, their athletic profile
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, imagine the pro runner who's doing 110 miles a week and then they just stop doing any kind of drills, mobility work, dynamic flexibility, strength training, you know, the therapeutic physical therapy oriented strength work, the heavy weightlifting in the gym, you know, give them a couple of weeks. They're going to be hurt that that I would put money on that.
1: Right. And I love that. And I love the idea of like, you're never too good to be doing this stuff. You never like so genetically gifted that you're like, ah, I'm fine, right? And, like, it's easy to fall into that trap on occasion or maybe not, like, take that exact framing, but to kind of, like, take a JV version of it. Um, I know... Even LeBron James has said, like, explicitly in his interviews, and this is not a humble brag, he's saying it's like, look how dedicated I am, but, like, trying to, to set the framework of, like, he spends over a million dollars a year on his body. And, like, he's mo- maybe the most genetically gifted male athlete we've seen in 20 years, 30 years. And, like, if he's doing this stuff and he does, like, a full hour-long pregame routine, like, you're, pro- you're like, sitting there, like, should I do for my workout? Like, well, if he needs to do it and he's way more genetically gifted than you are, maybe you could benefit from this sort of thing as well. Totally.
0: And I think the opposite is true, right? It's not that you know high-level athletes do this work because they're high-level athletes. It's more that this is the work that helps you take your performances to the next level. So even if you're LeBron James, yeah, you you want to continue being the best or one of the best basketball players in the league. But if you're Jason Fitzgerald, I'd like to finish then my next uh, trail half marathon five minutes faster and stay healthy doing it. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, it's going to improve your performances. So it's certainly not for the elite to help keep them elite. It's for anybody who wants to get better. It's as simple as that.
1: Absolutely. And you've been on the show a couple of times, so we don't want to rehash and have the same conversation that we have had before. Uh, people are like, hey, I hope they talk about like what beginners should do or what are some key exercises that are important. Those are That's great content. Jason has a lot of that on his website. And we have talked about those sorts of things on this podcast. And I'll have links to those episodes in the show notes. But I don't think it does anyone any good to completely rehash those conversations. We've already had them. And the, that's evergreen content, unless they've come up with a whole bevy of new <laughs> New exercises that I was that I'm completely unaware of. I think we're we're just fine, kind of laying that there. With that said, I think there is a. We we're talking a little bit about this before we press record. There's a cohort of people who want to engage more with strength training, um, specifically. The mobility side is one thing, but strength training to to the to the degree where you know they want they need to go to a gym because they don't have this equipment because they haven't done it really right. So they don't have the home stuff. They want to go to the gym, um, and they are self aware enough to know that they need some assistance or they they're, they're new to this but also self aware enough they don't that they they don't want to be like that person who's like stepping into like the gym on January 1st for the first time ever thinks they're going to rock the world and like all of a sudden is using all the the, um, the machines incorrectly and getting in everyone's way and all of that, right? So they don't want to be that person. And maybe because of that, they're like, I don't know. I'm a little scared. I'm a little tenuous to go into the gym. I know you feel passionately about this. If someone's there, like they want to improve, but they have a little bit of imposter syndrome about even stepping foot into the gym. And maybe it's even grounded in some, um, understandable thought processes. What would you, what would your advice be to those people?
0: Yeah, it's a good question because there is a little bit of trepidation, especially among runners getting into the gym because the gym is this alien environment. We're not used to it. You know, I- I'm much more comfortable flying around the track in my split leg running shorts with no shirt on than I am throwing around heavy weight in the gym with the rest of the gym. You should gym wear that bro. same outfit in the gym. A- and I sometimes do just to remind <laughs> the gym bros that the gym belongs to
1: me too. Pass the 12 and a half dumbbells, please.
0: Yeah, like (laughs) watch me deadlift in these one-inch split leg shorts. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. keep going, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, like it it is this weird place for many runners, but um, number one, I have never had a problem in the gym. All of the runners I've coached have never actually had a legitimate altercation in the gym with someone who's told them, you're not doing this right, you shouldn't be here, get out of my way, you know, whatever it might be. So I think a lot of this problem just might be manifestations of our own fear. So I just tell runners, look, this is training we need to do. If you want to improve your performances, if you want to stay healthy, if you want to race faster, if you want to improve your running economy. So let's set aside some of those fears. And then once we get in the gym, Maybe you don't wear the one-inch split legs, have a little bit more modesty than I would because I'm just a complete savage in the gym. (laughs) But, you know, maybe you go with a friend who just understands the gym a little bit more so they can tell you, hey, wipe off the machine after you use it. Hey, put the weights back after you do it. They can introduce you to some of the etiquette of the gym. And the same is true as if you go to use a track for the same time. You want to be running the same the right direction on the track. You wanna be not jogging in lane one. There's all kinds of little rules at, at all these different athletic venues that are important, but that doesn't mean you know only collegiate distance runners and, and anybody faster than them can run on the track, of course not. And, and the same thing is true with the gym. Um, I think it can also be super helpful to pay for one training session with a personal trainer so that they can walk you through basic movements. Let's get an understanding of how to do a squat, a press, a deadlift. Let's just do the basics. Let me understand the body positions. Let me understand which machines correspond to those movements as well. An hour with a personal trainer in a gym, just as like a let's get to know this area, can be enormously helpful. Now, if you can't get a one-hour personal training session, you may also wanna get just like a weightlifting program. Here's where you're actually just gonna to be told, here's what to do when you get in the gym. Here's how to do what we're telling you to do in the gym. And that can be just an easy way of, of sort of getting out of your own head. You know, I'm gonna not try to wing it I'm not going to try to use this machine for what it's not supposed to be for, and instead I'm just going to follow like a very basic program so that, you know, I just feel a little bit more confident in the gym. So. I, I do think a lot of it's mental, but with a little bit of prep and just maybe observing others in the gym, you know, I, I sometimes like to watch some of the gym bros do their thing because, you know, it's like watching a whole another athlete go through the practice process. It's interesting to me. And, and you can learn a little bit of etiquette. You can learn how to use some of the, the different weights and machines. So it's just one of those things where I think a little bit of experience, a little bit of time spent in the gym will likely, you know, get rid of a lot of these fears.
1: Yeah, and for sure, and it's funny because like the people who who are in the gym most, who spent basically this like their sport, right? So we talk about running is our sport, right? Um, people who are in the gym and like weightlifting is their sport. Oftentimes, those are not the people who are going to be like saying things to you. If like you're going in with an open mind and you're trying to do the right things and you're like, you know, you're going there with with good intentions. It's like it's just it's the same idiots who will like, you know, cut you off in traffic and then flick you off like you did something wrong. Right. It's like if that's the person. So like if you see someone in the gym and you're new to the gym who looks like they're they're there all the time. They're not, they're not going to be the problem. They, they recognize, like, hey, this person's trying to do their own thing, and they can respect someone who's trying to get to do something for the first time and who's going in and, and um, you know, trying to improve themselves. So it's, not, it's, the, it's the people who you can see coming a mile away who are usually the, the people who are going to be a bad time to be around. But they're also, like, they're that way because, like, in, in all actuality, they're just kind of irrational. About the whole thing. So I think ultimately um, it it is kind of much to do about nothing and oftentimes can be kind of like, again, like you said, kind of like um, it can be a mental side, but also it can just be almost like a form of procrastination. Right. Like I, I kind of I don't know if I want to do that because I don't want to do this or that. And there may be a grain of truth in it, but it also can just be kind of a form of procrastination. Kind of like, hey, it's raining outside. I don't know. I don't want to go for my run right now. And I think it might it might lighten up in the rain a little bit in like a couple hours. Like all of those things might be true, but you can still go out for a run. Right, and I think that ultimately, uh, for some people, it can just be from procrastination. And I say that as someone who procrastinates all the time. I'm a king of procrastination. I'm not above this. In fact, I am. You know, I have set forth the land. I've set up my homestead, and I am farming that <laughs> land all the time, including today when I went out for my run too late and then had to cut my long run short and hop on a call. So I, I know exactly how that feels. So I learn from what I, uh, I learn from what I speak. I think it's also interesting to note too that. The people we're usually
0: most afraid of like offending, whether we're in the gym and we see that like super serious, you know, bodybuilder kind of bro, or like the super serious runner who's on the track doing a serious workout. Those people are so involved and focused on the task at hand that they're not paying any attention to you. Exactly you know, the right. gym that's bro, exactly right. That's exactly. The gym bro has like 250 milligrams of caffeine from their pre-workout surging through their body. They are ready to rip an elephant to pieces. OK, they are focused on pulling weight from the floor. They're not paying attention to the little runner who's doing some activation exercises on a yoga mat in the side of the weight room. You know, same thing with the runner. You know, they're they're focused on splits. They're likely in survival mode on that track. You know, their vision has been reduced to a tunnel of suffering and pain. They are not paying you any attention. So don't worry about those people. That's exactly right.
1: And one thing I want to have you on the podcast say to talk about was like a thing that I've seen. Um, that I think is fascinating. I think it's a topic that I just haven't talked to many people on. Uh, My friend Maurice Lohman, who's been on the podcast before, the Marathon Panda, people may know him. Um, He has gotten into this and we've had some conversations on this topic, but I haven't brought it to the podcast. And that is, there are plenty of people who, and we just talked about this, who want to do like some strength training that are new to it and want to be more running focused. All right, how do, I, how do I become better as a runner? I want to get in the gym and I want to incorporate that so that I can get to the starting line. I can run better. I can run faster, all my mileage, all the positive things. There is a subsection of people who either came into running from a different background, who came in already someone who like likes to lift weights and then got into running or who just likes both, right? And I think of people like over on YouTube, you see someone like Nick Bear who has very serious running goals and who goes after his running goals, may be as serious as plenty of pro runners. Like, he is not messing around. He is trying very hard. He's documenting the whole thing, and it's really fun to watch and witness uh, the highs, the lows, all of it. You see people like Patrick Cutter, who's a 233 marathoner, has been in that area for a long time now. has been remarkably consistent and who's very strong. I think he's like 195 pounds. He's like my height. He's like 5'8". Right. He's a very, very strong individual. You see other people on in different formats where it's this interesting combination of running dedication and lifting dedication in a way that is seemingly unique, but also kind of cool. And the thing I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, and I know I texted you about this, was I, I kind of get a little frustrated when I see some of these people. um Lampooned is 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 too harsh of a word, but in that genre, um, from people, because I'm like they're doing the things that they love to do, they're succeeding in them, and I think it's perfectly fine if like, especially an amateur is not dedicated like every activity to get every like one percent out of their out of their um their running. It's okay to love two things. And it's okay also to be like, yeah, I might sacrifice like ten percent, you know, five to ten percent of my speed. But I'm what I'm giving it up for is a great trade because I also like doing this other thing, too. And I think it's an interesting thing that we're seeing, especially considering some of the popularity of some of these individuals.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm someone who also follows Nick Bear. I think he has not just like great content, but he's building a business in public. He's training in public. It's, it's just really fascinating to watch. Um, now, you're right. You can do both. You know, it's as simple as that. You can lift heavy weight and focus on hypertrophy, try to get big, and also run regularly. And you can sort of put your weightlifting in maintenance mode while you're going after a big running goal like training for a marathon, which is something that Nick Baer did. You know, he's still lifting weights, but, you know, he lost 20, 30, 35 pounds in the process because he wasn't really running, or I'm sorry, lifting the same way you would if, if you were like true bodybuilder. Uh, and, and the same thing is right now, like he, he has scaled back his running and really is focusing on his bodybuilding. He's entering a bodybuilding competition. So you can absolutely do both. Now, Matt, let me explain to you my bias. I come from a collegiate cross country track and field background. I am like the pure distance runner. So when I'm talking about strength training, I am typically like presenting runners the optimal approach. What Nick Bear is doing is not the optimal approach. You know, you have you have no real like professional runners doing what Nick Bear does. Right. With that said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So, I think both things are true. If you are a runner who wants to go 100% all in on your running, there's a certain way that you should approach strength training. If you're someone who is coming from a weightlifting background and you want to maintain that, well, you might make a couple modifications to your weightlifting program, but you might still follow a, a generally bodybuilding centric weightlifting program while you're training for a 5K or a marathon or whatever it might be. And you know, maybe your running is slightly handicapped, but look, at the end of the day, you're doing two things that you love to do. You can still progress and improve and get a lot better. So I don't think we have to take this either or approach. We can have an and approach. We can do both, have fun doing both and still reach many of our goals with the understanding that like, look, if you want to run a marathon with an extra 15 pounds of muscle, you're probably gonna run a little bit slower. You know, that's just kind of the physics of the the event. You know, you look at any greatest marathoners in the world, they're not carrying around a ton of extra muscle. So it really just comes down to, do you want to go 100% all in on optimizing your training or do you want to be really good, just not like perfect at multiple things? And I think both are wonderful things to go after.
1: Right, I think it definitely changes your ceiling, Right. Like, definitely changes your ceiling, and if you're okay with that trade, that's fine. The thing that, like, I want—and I think Ken Rideout is another good example of this. Ken is an unbelievable Masters runner. Big, strong guy, too. Someone who, like, worked his way up. He has a boxing podcast with Teddy Atlas. Like, he is, like, really interesting, but he's also, like, one of the best Masters runners in the, in the world. And it's a really unique situation. And I love the fact that these guys are bringing people to running— In a way that maybe we haven't seen a lot in the past. It's a very unique entry point where like Ken Rideout is partnering with like Des Linden and Mario Fraioli. Like what an interesting combination of people. I think this is so fascinating. And I love that these people are getting into running in this unique way. And I think, you know, you talk about like, all right, like maybe you can't reach that highest point. And that is undoubtedly true. The comparisons that you make are facts right you don't see people 190 you know you don't see like someone with like enormous muscles winning the the olympic gold however however most people listening to this podcast like they are like doing every single thing already to like hit like their peak as a runner right we all have restrictions and things that constrict our training, whether it's time-based, whether it's health, whether it's like, no, I, just don't, I don't have five hours a day to worry about this. I got my hour and I'm doing it, whatever. And it's just like, I think I'm just, I guess I'm more passionate about this the more I go of like, if you can do certain things just as an athlete, you and I have talked about this. So there's a difference between being merely a runner and being, being an athlete. If you can do things that you love doing as an athlete, The excitement therein is going to help you so much. Just stay consistent, right? You just love doing it. Also, again, while it may hurt your ceiling, being a good, strong athlete generally is a positive thing. And if doing this sort of thing is going to, if you're like, hey, I don't mean consistency. I don't keep. I'm not super consistent if I'm doing some of these more running-focused things, but if I incorporate it to like a bigger strength training plan that I did when I was in college that I really loved doing and that I I liked going to the gym and doing that three or four days a week and I incorporate it into that and then I'm more likely to go to the gym. It's like, oh, okay, well then do that. And I think that I I love the fact that these people are getting into running. I'm really rambling now, embodying the name of the podcast, but I just think that there are so many positives to this and that the negatives of it oftentimes are at that, extreme of potential, the point where like, most people aren't even getting quite there anyway. So it's almost like it's kind of superfluous to the conversation for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I have two points on that. Number one, I think something is better than nothing. And many people aren't really doing anything with regard to strength training. You know, many runners that contact me and are interested in this aren't doing really much of anything. So I think doing quote-unquote, the wrong strength training is far better than not doing any strength training at all. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this is, is what you were mentioning about bringing people into the sport. You know, the high school cross-country and track scene, the college cross-country and track scene, that's one avenue that brings people into the running scene as an adult, but it's not the only avenue. And I might actually argue that it's not the best avenue because. There's a lot of my former teammates that at 22 years old were completely burned out from running. They were done at 22. They did eight years of cross country and track. You know, they they ran a four 18 mile. And then once they graduated, they never ran another step in their life because they were like, I just can't suffer like that anymore. I don't want to run 85 miles a week. I'm just done. And I think when you come into it as an adult and you bring some of the other things that you like to do, you know, maybe you're playing a weekly game of pickup basketball. Like I would love to do as a former basketball player. I know you're a former basketball player too. So, you know, we, we got to play like a, a little scrimmage game, by the way, one time, Matt, that would be so fun. I was,
1: we, I had set up, I had set up a, a scrimmage slash pickup game the day before the Olympic trials in Atlanta. Five-on-five, five, we were going to play, and then I didn't end up going because I got sick with the flu, which for some reason kept showing up negative on the flu test. I guess everyone can guess what that turned out to be. Um, and, yeah, after the Houston Marathon. And um, so I didn't end up going down, but, like, I had, I was ready. We got Carrie Tollefson was going to play. Billy Yang was going to play. We, we got it going. So maybe, maybe Orlando 2024, we can all meet up at, like, the Disney Sports, you know, Disney sports complex and get it going.
0: Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I, this, this sounds like one of the most fun things ever. Um, but yeah, like, you know, these adults who are like, oh, I still want to play my game of pickup basketball or, you know, I've been lifting weights for 15 years. Can I still kind of get in the gym twice a week? I think by being super dogmatic about this is exactly how you have to structure your weightlifting. If you want to run effectively as well, you know, that is a way to to make people not really embrace the sport. So I think it's a great way to get people involved in the sport to say, hey, look, you can do a little bit of hypertrophy training in the gym. Try to get big. That's not really gonna hurt your running too much. You know, if if you're, you know, putting on 80 pounds of muscle and you you st- still wanna run your 100-mile ultramarathon, you know, ugh, those things might be a little bit challenging to do at the same time. But for the most part, we can do both. It's a great way to get people involved in the sport. And uh, it it just keeps people engaged in it as well.
1: And the other thing, too, is that I think this gets lost on some people. This goes for beginners and uh, and, and the people we're already discussing, is that if you're building a really good aerobic base and you're running, you know, dozens of miles a week and maybe getting into the 50s and 60s, like, (laughs) like, listen, putting on muscle is no easy task. I'll just say that. There are plenty of people who are like, I don't want to get big from lifting, like, Go tell that to someone who's actually tried to get big in lifting, and they will start laughing hysterically. It's incredibly difficult, especially as you get older, to, like, actually bulk up and get big. Like, you have to eat a ton of calories. You need to be in the gym a lot. You have to, like, it is very difficult to do. So it would be be like someone saying, I want to pick up running, but I just don't want to run a four-minute mile. Like, it's just too fast for me. It's like, don't worry it's not going to happen. You're fine. Right. And it's like, you also get that point of like, oh, you give this, like, it's almost like this, this idea of this idea of what could happen. And you're like, if you could be so lucky, like that, that sort of thing that you're worried about, the chances of it happening are so small. Like it's never going to happen. You're going to be just fine. And another thing I meant to bring this up earlier is like the influx of people into running through OCR. Because we've seen a lot of OCR athletes have traditional running coaches as part of their training. I think Megan Roche coached like three OCR champions this year, and she's a traditional trail and ultra running coach. And that she's coaching like short course OCR champions. But you'd be like, how are these combined? It's all—it's about all about the aerobic base. It doesn't like coach every aspect of their OCR life. Like she's not teaching them how to like throw a javelin into like the dartboard, right? An OCR competition. But you have these people who they know, like, all right, if I want to get better at OCR, building my aerobic base through running, because running is a major part of what we're doing, is really important. And yeah, I want to make sure I'm doing all these other things so that I'm good at my, uh, at my main um, activity. I think this is another way that people get into the mix. And I think it's, it really is fascinating. It touches on what you've talked about so many times about being a good athlete. And I just love the word that you used before about not being dogmatic about this sort of thing. Because there are so many ways to do this that I feel like if people approach this in a way where they're like, hey, instead of me being like, all right, what is Kira D'Amato doing? I'm going to do what she's doing. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if you like lifting, then continue to lift that's fine. Even if like Jared Ward's not doing it, you're not going to be Jared Ward anyway. Who cares? You're going to be, you will be the best version of you and do it in a way that's sustainable. And part of sustainability is liking what you're doing. And as people who build our own businesses, we know this firsthand, like there's gonna be plenty of days where you don't like what you're doing, even if you love what you're doing. Right? So if you already don't like it on the best days, you're just not going to do it on some of the harder days.
0: Yeah. Let's make it something that you actually enjoy doing. And, uh, I think you're right about OCR. OCR is, is almost like, uh, a gateway drug for non-runners to try some running and, and it gets them hooked on it. Uh, and, and I think Megan Roche is a hundred percent right that, you know, the, be- I've been saying this actually since 2012, um, the best OCR athletes are runners you get a lot of strength athletes, crossfitters, et cetera, who go do some sort of OCR, obstacle course race, and they think they're going to be great. And then they get their butt handed to them by a runner. And they're like, oh, but but I was better at climbing up the rope ladder. It's like, yeah, but the runner was running five-minute pace in between the obstacles. So, of course, they kicked your butt. <laughs>
1: Right. And I know she does a ton of hill work with them. So they're able to get used to ele- elevated heart rate and then bring it back down. Elevated heart rate and then bring it back down in a way that like obviously for something like that is so incredibly important. Even something like biathlon. like i are talking about like Winter like Winter Olympics biathlon. Not like, like biking and swimming or something like that where it's like here you're cross-country skiing, which is an incredibly difficult thing. And then you have to like lay down on the ground and shoot a gun. Like shoot a bullet through a target like the size of a quarter, in which case like in order to do that, your heart rate has to be pretty darn low. Like you have to be completely in control of your functions. And it's like that's a hard thing to do. And if like you're not like really working on your aerobic base in conjunction with some of this high level uh, cardiac output, like you're going to be nowhere no matter how strong you are.
0: And the interesting thing, too, is the better runner you are, the easier obstacle course races are because the obstacle ends up being a recovery period during what is essentially a big fart like workout for you. You know, I I actually won a warrior dash obstacle race back in 2012. Um, now, full disclosure, I inadvertently skipped an obstacle. So I was disqualified. Um, but it was like you, you like went down a hill on like this, like, it was almost like a slide. So I think my time would have been even faster if I had done the (laughs) obstacle. But, you know, I was in really good 5K shape at the time. And that's basically what it was. You know, let's run three miles as fast as we can. And then while you're doing the obstacles, you know, climbing through a little tube or you're climbing up a a rope ladder or something like that, your heart rate actually has a little bit of time to uh, come down and recover because it's not nearly as hard as, the really fast running that you're doing in between the obstacles. So I'm, I mean, you, I'm showing again my bias here. Like I'm pro runner. Runners are going to be so good at OCRs.
1: Well, it's a fact. We've seen it, right? And even if like they didn't come in as runners, if they train as runners, then you know that that again their entry point almost doesn't matter necessarily. Depending, it might it may change the way or the length of the um the onboarding process for you to reach at the highest level. But ultimately, if you do the run training. I guess the proof is in the pudding on that one. Let's talk about lifting heavy. This is something that um, there's some people like to do, some people don't like to do, but there's certainly um, a certain running companies kind of focus on this, people that I really respect. And we even have folks like Nell Rojas, who's one of the best American runners in the country who advocates this strongly. And in knowledge she advocate she does it herself. So um, I think there's definitely a subsection of people who are really interested in this and want to learn more. Uh, One thing I want to touch on on this topic is not necessarily, like, is it good or bad? Because I don't think it's either. I think it's like, again, it's it's a net positive. No question about it. Um, But I worry about how people approach lifting heavy in terms of, like, going to failure and what that could mean and what that is and why it's not, (laughs) I guess. And I guess the, the negatives that are therein and going to failure, especially if you're in a lifting heavy model. So can you touch talk about this a little bit? I know I'm springing this on you. I was thinking about this today on my long run, um, but because I have have a runner who's who's doing this, and I was talking to her yesterday about it. But I think it's something that's really important, especially for people who um, know that lifting heavy might work for them, but don't have a ton of information about what that means.
0: This is a great question.
1: I think when you lift
0: to failure – I put that in the in the same bucket as you doing like your a new PR, you know, a one rep max. It's basically the same thing. You're you're trying to lift as much as you can. In, in one scenario, you're successful, in one, you're not. You know, you're actually failing, but it's a max effort either way. Well, in running, what is a max effort? A race, right? We rarely train and do max efforts in workouts. I think it has to be a little bit similar with our weight training in that. We shouldn't be "quote unquote" racing when we're in the weight room all the time. We shouldn't be doing one rep max or lifting to failure once a week. That would be like racing once a week. You can't really focus on your training if you're racing every single week. And so, uh, runners need to be a little bit more careful with with lifting that heavy. I mean, you could have the same weight on the bar. You're just you need to do fewer reps so that you're not actually failing, or take some weight off so that you're not. Uh, approaching your one rep max, or in other words, your your PR pace. Almost. Um, the other thing too is that all weightlifting, whether it's heavy weightlifting, body weight weightlifting, or body weight strength training, no matter what it is, it needs to be in service of your running. Now, again, there's my running coach, pure runner bias. I want your running to be helpful to you. I want your weightlifting to be helpful to your running. I want it to enhance your running. Now, if you are doing bodybuilder-oriented stuff, you know, that's probably a separate conversation. You probably do want to go to failure more often, but that is going to negatively impact your running. But even
1: then, even then, those folks don't do that a ton. And if they do, it's because they're doing high reps. Like if you see people, and I've I've watched a lot of these videos with, with pro strength training coaches about like, say, deadlifting, right? When someone says like, hey, you know, I want to lift heavy. Like that's like the first exercise they think of, right? It's just synonymous with that genre. And even people who are like, hey, this is how you get better at deadlifting heavy. They say it all the time. Like, hey, do four to six reps at your eight to 10 rep weight. Why? The same reason that you don't like gas it on every single rep of a workout. You need to be ready for the next set. So it's like, all right, what's my, you know, say I deadlift, put, you know, two 25s on the dumbbell on a a barbell. I have 95 pounds on there, and I can deadlift that eight to ten times. Well, that's my four to six rep weight. Okay, you're going to get all the stimulus without the ridiculous breakdown and potential for injury if your form starts to go to crap because you're lifting to failure, and all of a sudden things get start start to get weird. And it's like it's a little. I guess it's a little different if you're just like, hey, I'm just going to like to see how many pushups I can do. And you're someone who can do like 20 to 50 pushups, right? Lifting to fail, like lifting to failure in that context is different than lifting to failure. If you're like, all right, I want to see what like my three rep max is in the squat. It's like, it's a completely different ball game. And it's like, it can be so again, not only is it, is it, is it not the best use of your time and it can potentially get you hurt, but even people who do this for a living, like they don't do that. They they train with weights the same way you train when you're doing 800 meter repeats, right? They do it in a way that they can still do the next rep. And so that like, they're not so sore, they, they don't go to the gym the next day and things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A speed workout is not one where you are running as fast as you can. That's a race. The right. same way a lifting workout is not you trying to lift as much weight as you can that's a powerlifting competition. Exactly. So let's differentiate between the two. <laughs> and if we're in the weight room and we're training, let's train. If we're on the track and we're training, let's train. We can compete in a competition.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, and that's one of those things where I feel like it can be so easy for someone who doesn't have a ton of lifting experience to get themselves in trouble. If they don't have a ton of lifting experience and then go into the lift heavy model, if they don't, if they're missing that, that piece of, of knowledge.
0: Yeah. I, I think it can be helpful at the beginning, roughly, you know, in the first month or so of your journey in the weight room, you first get started to get kind of close to a one rep max, just to set a baseline. You know, it's almost similar to, you know, if I'm working with a runner for a couple months and, you know, they haven't run a race in a couple years let's just get you in a 5k. I kind of just want to see where you're at. And that will help inform the rest of our training and help us with pacing, help us with future race planning. So there's, there's definitely some value in that. It's just not something that we can do all the time. It's a great diagnostic tool to understand your fitness level a little bit better. Uh, But you know, there is an inherent injury risk with doing anything at maximum intensity, whether you're sprinting down a track, you know, running a hundred miles as fast as you can, or pulling as much weight as you can off the floor with a deadlift. No matter what we're doing, we just need to be a little bit careful when we're doing that maximum effort work because it's a little risky.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I love the term, the diagnostic tool term that you use there. That that sounds perfect. I guess last thing I want to touch on with this, um, and this is my own personal bias. I haven't. I haven't had this experience, but I just, I just worry. It's like watching my kids on a trampoline. I just, My heart is in my throat the whole time, and I just can't. I just can't even look. It's, um, it's CrossFit. Again, I think there's nothing against any, any CrossFitters or athletes that do it. They, are, they work their tail off. They care. They're passionate. All that stuff. All things that I love in runners, I love in CrossFit athletes too. 100%. Because when I see certain workouts of the day, and that's what they call them if people don't know this. They call they're called wads. It's like, what's the workout today that we're going to be doing? When you see Olympic lifts done for speed, it makes me very nervous. Right. So there's some workouts that people do in CrossFit that aren't that, that aren't Olympic lift basing, right? It's like taking like a medicine ball, and throwing in the air. Again, that can be tricky. I guess I just I worry about CrossFit because what you're doing oftentimes is you're by going for speed. You are sacrificing technique for so many people. And I know I, I've done CrossFit. I've done the classes. They, they don't even let you do the workouts of the day until you've, you have your – your technique dialed in, they care, they want you to be healthy, not only because they're good people, but like if you're hurt, you're not coming back <laughs> and they want you to stay there. You know what I mean? Like they care, they want you to do well, but I just have seen so many people get injured and I've just, it's just, it makes me so nervous. Again, none of these exercises are bad, but when you do them for speed, just like if I tell my kids, all right, I want you to clean your room as fast as you can, that room is not gonna be very clean, right? It's just, it, 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 it's when you add that speed component It just makes me incredibly nervous. I would like to hear how you view CrossFit. Not even, and then we can come back connected to running, but I know we talked before, like people can do two things at once. There's plenty of runners who want to also do CrossFit maybe once or twice a week. And just what's your opinion on that?
0: Yeah, I have a complicated opinion about CrossFit because CrossFit is a complicated activity to engage yourself in. On the one hand, if this is how you are getting your strength training, your a part of a community, you really enjoy it. If you didn't do CrossFit, you wouldn't be exercising or lifting weights. Then I think you should continue doing CrossFit. But just like you said, Matt, when you are doing a a power based movement like a snatch or even like um, you know a, a clean and jerk, there are CrossFit WADs workout of the days where you know you're doing these for speed and it's called an amrap workout as many reps as possible and so on the one hand you have an olympic movement like you know the the clean and jerk it is a speed based movement i mean that's what power is it's strength expressed quickly but there's a huge difference in what crossfit does crossfit doesn't say when you pull the bar off the ground It needs to be a fast, powerful movement. You need to get it above your head as quickly as possible. That's not what they say. They say, once you do that, you need to then put it back down on the ground and do another one as quickly as you can and try to do as many as you can in a certain time period. That is so different. That's basically like saying, you know, I want you to run this 200 meter repetition as fast as you can. Okay, that doesn't seem so bad. Now it's like, I want you to do as many 200-meter reps as fast as you can in 10 minutes. Now this becomes a very strange workout, right? And that's what these AMRAP workouts are often like, where you are doing highly technical lifts that demand good form, or else, you know, you're gonna hurt your vertebra. You're really gonna hurt yourself. You know, there's real risk of injury here. And you're put you're, you're putting yourself in an environment where your form is inherently going to break down because you're not focused on good form, you're focused on speed. You can't focus on both at the same time. You can't focus on uh, running as efficiently as you can in the final 600 meters of a marathon. You're trying to go as hard as you can. You're gonna sacrifice a little bit of form to get a little bit extra time. There's a time and a place for that. When you're in training and you're doing a technical lift like that, and you're trying to do as many as you can in a certain time period, you are incentivized. And if you want to understand people, you got to understand incentives. You are incentivized to compromise form to get in one extra rep. And that's an inherently risky environment to be in. And and I think it's too dangerous for most athletes, especially runners who, you know, like this isn't their thing. Their thing is running. The, the Especially if people are
1: competitive, right? Especially if they're competitive. Because even if yeah. all the instructors are there and they know all the risks we do, they know them more intimately than we do, right? They, they live and breathe it and they're like, no, try to have the same form. They're trying to like thread that needle. But if you have like a type A competitive individual who's stepping up, who sees someone next to them going a little bit faster, even if you tell them all the things in the world about like try to resist that urge it's tough. It's tough to resist it. And like, again, I'm not going to demonize anyone on this. I think everyone can be doing all the right things. But like you said, like sometimes just like the human animal in us just wants to go faster and do better and they want their name on the wall and, and all of this stuff. So even if everyone does all the right things, it can still be a very compromising situation.
0: Yeah, it can it can really be a, a tricky situation for runners because, you know, it, it's fundamentally unsound. It is physiologically unsound to do a technical lift for speed, uh, as many reps as you can in a certain time period. You know, no Olympic lifting coach will have you do that. And and that's their specialty. That's literally what they coach all day, every day, is Olympic lifts. And they will tell you, we never do as many reps of an Olympic movement in a certain time period as we can, because that's crazy. That's, That's not... That's not something that even should be a thing. Meanwhile, you just have CrossFit coaches who do that. So I do think it is a fundamentally unsound, an inherently unsafe practice. So, yeah, I mean, you can have coaches say, well, we check on form. Well, no, you can't prioritize form in a speed-based environment. Full stop.
1: Right. And also, that's reactive, right? Like, you can tell someone afterwards, oh, that was bad form, but, like, they've already done the, They've already caused the damage. Right, you can't you can't proactively tell someone that they're they're about to have bad form, and if you did, it's because you just somehow had bad form in the last rep,
0: right? Yeah, so, it would be like a running coach who pulls you to the side after a five you've just raced a five k, and they're like, okay, we're gonna have you race a mile, and you better have perfect form. It's like, well, I'm I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm exhausted. I just ran a race at 100% effort. And now you basically want me to do another 100% high intensity effort with good form. It's just an inherently fundamentally silly thing to do.
1: Right. So, if someone's listening to this and they do CrossFit, again, I love you for listening and I love you being a good athlete. Just try not to maximize time, right? If you love it cuz you like lifting, cuz you love the exercises, CrossFit has a very unique and thriving community-based element within them, which I think is very fun and is a really great way of staying engaged with athletics and just your local community as well. All of that is enormously positive. Just don't race the clock. Just do these exercises. Have, you know, enjoy the experience, but don't kill yourself to literally have like the fastest time possible do the exercises do them well focus on that and enjoy all the elements other elements apart about crossfit that that you enjoy but don't do it in a way where all of a sudden you're gonna be like oh my god i can't run for six months because i have a bulging disc in my back because i did something silly
0: yeah the older i get the more i i simply won't take those kinds of risks because i i don't recover the same way that i did when i was 20 years old and swimming and testosterone.
1: There you go. I love that. All right, we're gonna get going in a second. You have a lot of people checking in on you to see what they should do as part of uh, their strength training routines and things like that. What are some of the things that you know this time of year that like you'll you be you know sending to people or different courses that you're trying to amplify for people to take a look at? I know body weight power is one that we have talked about on this show in the past, but what are some of the things that you'd recommend people might take a look at?
0: Yeah, I mean, if folks wanna learn more about strength training, so that it helps your running more specifically Uh, bodyweight power is our bodyweight strength training program that I created with a uh, physical therapist and strength coach certified strength coach who's also a running coach and it's a periodized progressive bodyweight program so I like this because it can be done at home you don't need a lot of fancy equipment you don't need to you know jockey with the gym bros in the weight room, you can do this in the privacy of your own home. But if you are someone who wants to get in the gym and follow a running specific periodized progressive weightlifting program, high performance lifting is another option that we have. Uh, and you can see all these at strengthrunning.com coaching. Um, a lot of different strength programs there, uh, depending on what you want to do, whether you want to stick to body weight work, which I, I think is great. And you can get really far with, you know, a, a more progressive body weight program where, you know, you're adding difficulty, you're adding different movements and reps and more advanced exercises. So don't think you have to get in the gym and lift heavy. It's certainly the most efficient way to get stronger, I think is to lift heavy, but it's certainly not the only
1: way. Absolutely, Jason. Thank you much for thank you so much for coming on for talking about all this and for all the work you're doing in the community as well. We should say if you don't already go subscribe and download Jason's podcast, the Strength Running Podcast. If you like this one, you probably already know about it since it's above mine in almost every single podcast ranking platform. So, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Love being here. That's our show today, my friends. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up for Strength Running's free weightlifting series for runners at strengthrunning.com/strength. You can also support our sponsors who help me keep the lights on over here at Strength Running HQ. Use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running podcast. First, I know I've talked about my resistance to supplements before and how excited I was to finally find a supplement company that I trusted in Prevenex. What really sold me on their products were two things. First, just my personal experience. I actually took the products consistently for over a month, and I still am today. And even though I was initially skeptical that I was actually going to feel any real benefits in that short of a time, I did. And I genuinely felt better and had more energy throughout the day. But even more than that, I've seen testimonials from so many runners on the health and performance benefits that they have experienced to greatly help their running. From more energy and stamina while running to faster recovery post run. I'm a big fan of the multivitamin, which is going to fill any nutrient gaps and needs that you might have and just give you broad based antioxidant support to help you push harder and recover quicker. But one product I want to highlight today is a product that many runners consider to be the joint supplement for runners. It's called Joint Health Plus, and you can read reviews for yourself on Prevenex.com. But to summarize, runners see meaningful reductions in joint pain and faster joint recovery from workout to workout. So why is this so great for runners specifically, beyond the benefits that we just talked about? The main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just seven to 10 days. Seven to 10 days is almost unheard of. And beyond that, it's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. If joint longevity, performance, and everyday health matter to you, check out the Joint Health Plus to experience the benefits yourself. Visit prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use code Jason15 to save 15% on your first purchase. And best of all, Prevenex has a 100% money back guarantee. So if you don't feel benefits, you can tr- return the product no questions asked. That's Jason15 for 15% off at Prevenex.com. We're also supported by Inside Tracker, a company that's been around for more than 10 years to help you optimize your health, longevity, and performance. Learn more at insidetracker.com/slash-strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning to save 20% on their entire store. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds, and generic annual blood work doesn't properly evaluate your biological age, but Inside Tracker does. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow down the aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. You can also add Inner Age 2.0 to any plan, and that'll help calculate your true biological age to see how you're aging from the inside out. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash strengthrunning. That's insidetracker.com forward slash strengthrunning. That's our show, runners. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing this show with your friends. Support us by using our sponsor links, reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com coaching. And I'm always here to help, so don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running site, or you can message me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is JasonFitzwan. one Talk soon.